it, it has enabled me to perform more concerts per year because I could say yes to a jazz concert. I could say yes to a concerto with the orchestra. I could say yes to accompanying a singer, whatever, because my repertoire was already uh, bigger and, and, and stylistically there was nothing that I could not do or would not do. In this episode, I'm talking to concert pianist Charles Duplessis. Charles, so lovely to meet you. Thank you, Petra. Likewise. Yeah, and uh, it's so lovely that you're there with your piano. Wonderful background. I'm happy <laughs> to be here today, both me and the piano. Uh, yeah. And you know, for any pianist, I think uh, uh, this is our pride uh, and joy and our most precious possession. Yeah. Now, I've heard from speaking to other pianists as well that uh, you are very much attached to your instrument. That's true. I, I, I think that uh, for, for pianists, the worst thing about the job that we do is leaving a piano at home and going to somewhere where, where you're not always sure what you will end up playing on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it would have been so nice traveling with your own piano but that's unfortunately reserved for only a few pianists in the world. So I'm always jealous of my colleagues who play flute or violin and they can take their instrument wherever they go. Yeah, I've, uh, this is also something that I, you know, you don't realize when you, when you think about this or when you're at a concert, you don't realize that. But um, I've spoken to a Steinway a piano tuner and he actually said that you know, that this is such an important part of the pianist's um, concert is that they feel comfortable in front of the piano, that specific piano that they are playing. Definitely. And, and you know, with people who travel a lot, uh, sometimes other people ask me, how do you get used to sleeping in a different bed every night? And it's the same kind of adapt or die situation where you reach a new piano and, and within a couple of seconds you know oh it's one of those um, it's like when you fly somewhere and you hire a car and you get into your hire car you know within a few seconds oh it's this type of car and then you just drive yeah well that's a good analogy to make <laughs> but Sean now I would love to know what was it about piano that or the piano that intrigued you as a child when you started doing piano lessons? What's interesting, Petra, I come from a completely unmusical family where neither my mother or my father is or was musical at all. So we happen to have a Steinway grand piano in our house because they thought it's the most beautiful uh, sort of furniture, piece of furniture that you could have in the house. I have two older sisters and they played a little bit, but after a year or two gave up. So for me, this big black thing in the corner was just always intriguing. And only later towards high school, I, I started taking piano quite seriously, which is very late uh, in comparison with some other pianists who start at the age of three or four years of age. Uh, and um, But still, there's a beauty and an innate quality of expressiveness in any piano, not only a grand piano, uh, uh, which I respect so much and which I think will intrigue me throughout my whole life because I can somehow 
never get enough. If I get to somewhere and I see a piano in the corner, I have to first go and take a look and see what, what's there and what's, what does it sound like. Well, this is very interesting that you say that uh, you also don't come from a musical family. And, um, and I, I speak to musicians that come from musical families, you know, from the grandfather down to the parents and so on. And um, was there somehow a love for the music that your parents installed in you through maybe going to concerts or so? Yes, so I, I definitely went to as many concerts as I could as a child. But the incredible thing about my parents, they had a very broad musical taste. They did enjoy some classical music, some jazz, some pop, some rock. My mother was an Elvis Presley fan. You know, she was mm -hmm. from that era where that kind of music was, was very prevalent. My dad loved somebody like Barbara Streisand. So you have an idea of the kind of commercial singers I grew up with. And what that meant, a very interesting story is, whenever I prepared pieces for an exam or a competition, I would sit down and, and play these pieces to my parents the night before the exam. They had to pay an entrance fee, by the way, uh, oh, okay. uh, about 10 rand those days, which was a lot of money. But in any case, and I would play these difficult and, 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 and sort of hard and heavy pieces, and they would applaud. And then afterwards, my dad or my mum would say, okay, that was great. Now please play something pretty. <laughs> and then it would be such an anticlimax, but I completely understood what they meant, Petra, in the sense that they wanted to hear. Sorry, there's some thunder and lightning here with a typical Victoria thunder. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they wanted to hear music which was well known to them or something they recognized. And that has stayed with me in my career all through these years where I realized an audience member does have a comfort in, in listening to something that they recognize rather than sitting through a concert or an opera, which is completely new. It's a different sensation. Yeah. No, that's, that's really true. And, and what is actually interesting now that you mention it is that I've spoken to um, uh, creative director from of musicals and I we talked about the same thing where people go and see the same musical over and over again and it's the same music that they hear over and over again and it's almost that like you say it's the comfort it's the comfort of knowing yes I think so and, and if you think of food I, I love eating as you can see and I love the analogy of food and that that the smell or that taste that takes you back somewhere. Music has the same ability to, to trigger your memory. And, and that's why if some pianists think, oh, why should I learn Beethoven sonatas? Or a singer thinks, why should I learn some Schubert leader? You know, it's been done to death. Then I always think the effect should never be underestimated because people love that recognition of hearing the Moonlight Sonata or hearing Schöne uh, Müllerin uh, or whatever they listen to and, and the instant, that's, that's something money cannot buy. Well, your parents have really, um, by, by doing that, they've really made you understand that what, I mean, what the audience wants and that is so amazing that they've done that. But, but what I actually find amazing is that you let them pay. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what's funny? The next day, I, I, I couldn't find the money. It somehow got missing throughout the night. So I think my father came and removed the money again because he thought it's too much money. But, but a very interesting thing, you know, the, those two concepts for any person as a professional musician, making a living from it, the money idea, and sort of being in tune with what an audience might yeah. want or what their, what their needs are, I think it plays a very big role. Yes, but this is what I actually wanted to say to you now because you actually valued what you did so much that you charged so much for them. I mean, like you say, 10 rand at that time, I, I know I understand that. Um, but but uh, um, this is also uh, that I've been talking to a lot of musicians about and that is the fact that the business side of music, you know, the creative side is one thing and it's something you love and like you say, you know, you're... Um, your love for the piano and for what you do, but then there's the music, the, the business side as well. Um, and has that learned you, or that has that brought that concept of listen, I have to get paid for what I do? It has, it has been a, a, a sort of double edged sword for me, where I think that the ability to, to make a living from playing the piano was greatly helped by my ability to play more than just the classics. So obviously, if if your parents tell you play something pretty and they mean Barbara Streisand or uh, some ragtime or some whatever they wanted to hear, it forced me to broaden my repertoire and to just figure things out, to start to improvise, to incorporate some popular music into my repertoire. And later in life, where I realized, okay, now I'm going to make a living as a classical pianist uh, in South Africa, where, I, where I'm born and, and I still live here, although I, I travel everywhere. It, it has enabled me to perform more concerts per year because I could say yes to a jazz concert. I could say yes to a concerto with the orchestra. I could say yes to accompanying a singer, whatever, because my repertoire was already uh, bigger and 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 stylistically, there was nothing that I could not do or would not do. Mm. Well, that's very. I mean, that was a very good um, idea to do that because I think also and uh, you know, going playing different genres makes it more open for you to and like you say, especially in South Africa where it's limited, uh, opportunities are limited. But, yes, um, I think China Now carry on. No, I just wanted to say, uh, trying to make a living as a purely classical pianist here uh, has some some uh, issues where obviously you don't get that many concerts, and the the concert circuit is not as big as you know when you live in Europe and you can fly anywhere or, or in the states. But um, uh, I must say that the, the fact that I still live here and work here uh, gives me great joy. You know, people here are quite thankful for, for music and, and they have a high standard of, of, of taste and, and are used to good international artists visiting. So um, that's why it's sort of best of both worlds, being able to have the quality of living here and yet travel abroad and, and play some incredible concerts. 
But now in South Africa, now we, we uh, I've spoken to other South African artists as well. And I know that you have to be very creative in also um, very much organizing some of your own work, uh, some of your own concerts. Um, do you feel positive about uh, what you, you know, that the, the possibilities that there are for you in South yes. Africa? I, I think uh, I, I am positive and, and uh, which other pianists in other countries around the world find fascinating about uh, my life or other colleagues in South Africa. I am my own publicist. I am my own manager. I am my own uh, booker. I'm, I do everything myself. So uh, they find that astonishing. But in the same sense, it's so empowering, Petra, because I can be a real entrepreneur. I can decide, hey, I'm going to learn an all Schubert program. And I'm going to decide I'll play it in Cape Town and I'll play it in Bloemfontein or I'll play it if I have contacts abroad, obviously you try and sell it there. But a, a, a big thing in South Africa is we have the freedom to be quite entrepreneurial. And if you are as old as I am and you've been around for a couple of years, then it's easy to pick up the phone and tell a concert presenter or an orchestra manager, hey, I have an idea. How about we do something like this? And they are quite open to these suggestions. Whereas in Europe and America, the official way of getting into a theater or into a concert series or into a, a concerto uh, chance with the orchestra, it has a certain path and you cannot skip any of those steps, you know, and, and you need a manager and you need an agent. And, and I respect that. But here it's a little bit different. So I, I'm happy that I have these qualities to be able to know how to organize a concert, how to market it, how to sell the tickets myself through a company who does it, uh, how to design the poster, how to, after lockdown, even tune my own piano. So uh, it's really? in me to be quite self-sufficient. Mm. Well, this is also, uh, uh, during lockdown, I spoke to a lot of artists over the world and, and we spoke about this specifically about the control, you know, about, and, and now the freedom that many artists have and that they, they during the time and lockdown had to rethink how they did it. But it seems that in South Africa, you've already done that, you know, you've already had that experience. Of course, and, and, and uh, there's an Afrikaans expression that says, nuit leer bit, and that means that, you know, in times of great need, you are forced to start praying, you know, make a plan and, and do something. And, and for instance, during lockdown, I've always been very fascinated with the idea of, of being able to prepare my own piano for concerts. And, and throughout my life, I've always sat with piano technicians, asked questions, watched them, tried with my own tuning lever doing things and often I do end up somewhere in South Africa where one note on a piano might stick and there's no time to phone the piano tuner and I've, I've taught myself and with the help of great other piano technicians had the training now where I'm capable of preparing a concert instrument for myself uh, and during lockdown had time to practice and learn and incorporate that as another part of my job and i Love it. I must tell you, I, I have a few colleagues across the world who are also Steinway artists like me, and, and there are about three of them who can also tune 
pianos and fix things and, and change whatever they don't like. It's it's quite nice, and the other pianists are very jealous, Petra, because they have to <laughs> ask somebody else to do it. Yeah, no, but this is amazing that you've done that, really. But it just shows your love for your instrument, you know, that you're really into it. Yeah, of course, and 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 knowing more about how these fantastic instruments work also gives you more respect, because you know if you've seen how much time it takes to make fresh pasta, which was one of the other things I had time for for the first time in my really? life during lockdown. It yeah. takes so much time. And then I realized I have so much respect. If you have fresh pasta somewhere, you know, it's taken hours to, to, to make that. So you have a new understanding. Mm. Well, this is what I think that lockdown brought us, you know, is this, this understanding also how everything links you know every or everybody is really depending on somebody else and and I think this is interesting that you say that many artists say that they've started cooking or they started baking and I think it's part of you as creative um, beings to create you know if you if you couldn't do concerts then you started baking or or cooking you know to be this creative yeah and, and one of the other things, I have a good friend who's a conductor here in South Africa. His name is Richard Cook. And, oh, and I know Richard. Yes, yeah, so during lockdown, people were so down in the dumps and, and kind of sad that we decided we have to do something online to cheer people up. So we did an online quiz, Petra, which was incredible. So we got some sponsors to give us small little prizes. And people from around the country could join us on, 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 on Facebook Live and, and uh, he would give a clue, like uh, the answer to this question is the second letter of this song. And then I would play Hello Dolly and people would recognize oh, that's Hello Dolly, so the second letter is E. And in the end, they made up this word and they could win prizes. People loved it and it became mm. a, a weekly thing where I just had to play all these clues and it, it was such fun and and for for especially for older people who were alone you again realize the power of music is incredible because even though they're alone they could watch this on their cell phone or tablet or laptop and and feel oh i'm part of this game i'm part of of this experience that's so interesting and it just shows you again how music can be used in something like a quiz for example you know it's it doesn't just have to be just the playing but but it can make people think as well and and this okay. also, yeah and also there's recognition of all these these songs amazing that you did that yeah now we had so much fun and and what was interesting i think that also took a little bit of the seriousness out of music I'm a, I'm a very big uh, uh, fan of the idea that they should be very formal and very uh, heavy and full-blooded classical music events. And there should also be events where people just want to come and relax. And that's why at, at this point in my career, a big part of what I do as a pianist is taking classical music and making a jazz version of it or 
playing crossover music. So I have a trio with bass and drums and, and piano, and we are essentially a jazz trio, but we play things like the Four Seasons by Vivaldi, or we play Bach, Toccata, mm. and Fugue, or we play some tango music, which we jazz up. And what that does is for a listener, they come and sit and listen, and they think they're going to hear Bach, so they don't know what they're expecting. And mm. then as soon as the beat starts, you can see them relaxing and thinking, I recognize this, I know this, well, this sounds nice. You know, it, it, it sort of a opens the door for some people into classical music who wouldn't necessarily go to a full-blooded symphony concert or, or recital. And that has also become an important way of recruiting fans yeah. for, our, for our business. We want people to enjoy and come and have fun and, 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 and realize that music has this power, but it's not always serious. Yeah. And it's it's always also this thing where it's inviting because it's more relaxed. And then, like you say, it invites people to the original Bach, you know, to listen to that. And and this is also, I think uh, sometimes um, uh, classical music has this barrier where people think it's it's too too much, you know. It's like this: the concert hall and the dressing up and the formalities, and that puts some people off. Who, who, you know, if they're not comfortable in that environment. But the moment you do this, what you're doing, it's really opening the door, like you say. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And, and an important aspect of doing this for me was, I, I'm in no way making the music. Uh, any less in quality or low class or, or brainless or, you know, with disrespect towards the original composition. It's, it's not that at all. It's just a reimagining of what it would sound like in a jazz world. And, and I think that's why we've had quite a lot of success because it's still a, a, a very virtuoso, high-quality music experience, uh, but it, it's just not as serious. Yeah. Well, interestingly, I, I spoke to a young um, pianist in America, Charlie Albright, and he said that, do you know Charlie? Uh, yes, I know his name and I see him online, but I've never met him. Yeah, and he said that he played in Carnegie Hall, a concerto, and after the concerto for the encore, he played Great Balls of Fire. And um, he said the, the whole audience were on their feet. And I think how brave and how wonderful that that he did that in Carnegie Hall, you know. That, and, and I think this is the thing. They should not be this, this um, almost uh, uh, snobbishness about music, you Great. know. Yeah. Great. And I think that the exclusivity of, of classical music, because it's such an exclusive club sometimes, or a closed yeah. club, is what, what is difficult for younger people to penetrate. And if we make it more inclusive and we open it up and say, hey, come and, 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 and you'll enjoy this concert because, and, and motivate, then, then I think they are more open. And one other thing I feel strongly about, Petra, is I usually talk a little bit at concerts explaining yes. why I'm playing this music or what did we do in this arrangement because people like knowing these days if you and I sit at a dinner table and somebody says in what year was Charlie Chaplin born and none of us know 
we're not going to sit there and think, oh, it's okay, we don't know. Somebody will take out their phone and quickly check yeah. when was Charlie Chaplin born. And the same, people don't like that idea of sitting at a concert and not knowing, not mm-hmm. understanding when should I clap, when should I not. And w- by talking to the audience, you relax them and they understand, oh, this is what I listen out for. This is why you play the music. And, and it makes it a much more understandable and engaging experience rather than this exclusive thing of, of keeping quiet and you're supposed to know everything. I love that, you know, because I'm not a musician and I don't have a lot of knowledge of music. But the moment somebody sort of steers me in a direction of what to listen to or or just the story behind. I love stories and, and just the story behind a piece for me is always, it makes me listen in a different way, you know, more attentive also, I think. Definitely, definitely. This is great. I would love to come to one of your concerts. Well, uh, we will definitely <laughs> make a plan. Either I have to come to Vienna or you have to come definitely. somewhere where I can. So nice. Yeah, I think you have to come to Vienna. I think we have to put that wish out there. (laughs) But now, Charles, you are so innovative. You are such a good musician and and also businessman. What would your advice be for a young pianist now coming up and and entering um, the professional world or the freelance world? I think the more you know yourself, the better for later on in your career. And with that, I mean knowing your own strengths. Some pianists grow up and and, and all of us have idols and these big pianists and names and we think, oh, I would love to play like Marta Agri or I would love to play like Oscar Peterson or Andre Previn or whoever. And, And that's okay to have idols, but if you are not built in the same way and can do the same thing, it can be quite disheartening. So for a young person, if you realize, oh, I'm, I'm really good with Mozart and I'm really good with Mendelssohn, then that's something you should zoom in and, and try and really do as much of as possible. Um, but again, somebody like me is an all-rounder, so I cannot help but giving people advice saying, Find out what you're good at and see if you can add on one or two other things. You know, you get pianists who are incredible in playing solo and then one day realize, hey, I just love playing for singers or I love chamber music. And the whole another branch of music opens up. So never, never have these uh, sort of this tunnel vision of I can, I must only do one thing. There's, there are always lots of opportunities and and if you know what your strengths are but you also sort of keep a peripheral vision going it definitely helps a lot and I think this also brings out the personality in in the musician because I think that is also so important um, to have your personality out definitely that's the thing that, that sets you apart from other musicians and other pianists is when you sit down to play something, what is it that makes you special from the thousands of other pianists out there? And 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 some people feel a little bit um, disappointed in the fact that they, they might be one of one million pianists making a living in the world. But 
I've never seen a lawyer or a doctor feel disappointed because somebody else is also a lawyer. Yeah. You just do what you do, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's why your personality and your own contribution and strengths make it so unique that nobody can be you. Oh, you've got such great analogies. I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, this is, yeah, this is really like that. Because when I photographed all these um, artists in their windows, I, um, you know, they all used to say things like, oh, I didn't know there were so many conductors here in Vienna, or I didn't realize all the pianists. And, and it's like you say, there's a space for everybody and the place for everybody. Yeah. Yes, and, and I think that that's why each person's contribution is important. You know, your work as a photographer, there are many other photographers in the mm -hmm. world, but it does not take anything away from your contribution. And you, you have done incredibly unique things. And, and, and for that, uh, I think the world of photography will be grateful for many years to come. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, but now, um, Charles, tell me, what is your wish for the future? So I hope that I will be able to, to stay healthy, to perform for many more years, because I think if there's one thing, one thing in the pandemic that we all learned, it was the fact that, you know, health is first. If you are sick or you are unwell, nothing else can happen. So my, my wish is, is really to stay healthy for as long as I can and to, to be lucky enough to have even more invitations and even more opportunities to share my unique kind of music with people all around the world. I, I always found it fascinating in, in a country like China where I've played so many times that even with a cultural and a language barrier like that, they just loved this idea of jazzing up classical music. Mm. And, and it showed me, wow, music is this international language which needs no translation uh, but can be enjoyed just as is. So that's my wish. More of these opportunities. I love traveling. I love performing. And if I'm healthy enough and... Um, uh, I have some luck on my side. I'll be able to do it for another couple of years. Well, that's a great wish. And I wish that uh, we'll put this wish uh, uh, on your wish is that you come to Vienna <laughs> to do a concert. <laughs> so yeah. nice. That would be so great. And, and when, yeah, and when I come, we can, we can invite some interesting people because Vienna has so many wonderful musicians and, and the audience there is so clued up, but I think also quite open. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I can, I can imagine a lovely uh, collaborations with you. Let's see. Definitely. <laughs> okay, now, Charles, I ask everybody to do a shout out for their favorite coffee place or favorite restaurant do you have in Pretoria a, a shout out that you want to make I have there's one incredible coffee shop here Helloa Coffee and it's uh, coincidentally owned by the guy who plays bass in my trio he's an entrepreneur he doesn't only play bass 
but he has a few coffee shops and Haloa is the best one. It has such incredible atmosphere. You know, Vienna is well known for its incredible coffee houses mm-hmm. and, and, and the style is completely different, but you get that sense of people who are serious about their coffee come here. And I love that. I really, yeah. Well, I'm serious yes. about my coffee, definitely. So I can understand that, yeah. And which is your favorite one in Vienna, Petra? Well, I go to a place called um, uh, Birkering uh, Eins. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just a, it's a very contemporary uh, interior, and but lovely coffee, lovely atmosphere. So Birkering Eins is my shout out usually. <laughs> Fantastic. No, I, so I when, you come, when you come, free, when you come, when you come to Vienna, I'll take you. Yeah. <laughs> Would be so nice. Yeah. But um oh, but it was so lovely to talk to you, Charles. And I wish you all the best for uh the rest of the year and all your concerts coming up. And it was really lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much, Petra, and thanks for the opportunity. If people want to make contact with me, they're welcome to contact me on my website. Uh, yeah. all the details are there, but it's it would be so great. I will put your your the link to your website on the description of the video, and then that that would be. Great. And all the best for you, and thank you for for chatting to us musicians and artists. I think that it, it opens the door even a little bit more for people to see what's behind the music. I know, and it's so interesting what you're talking. You know that I think it's even on a motivational level, it's so wonderful to hear. So. Okay, have a lovely day. (laughs) Bye-bye.